Tonight we're into the seventh talk on the Paramis, and tonight speaking about truthfulness. I'd like to begin with a short story about Gandhi. It's said that at one point in his life he was going to get on a train. You know, it was a very busy, chaotic situation. And there was a reporter who wanted to get a pearl of wisdom from him. So he said to Gandhi, please give me a message for the people. And Gandhi responded by saying, my life is my message. When I first heard that story, it caused me to reflect. Could I say, my life is my message? When I hear it, you know, I, I, I get the sense of such integrity. You know, a person who is living the truth of who they are and can just let that speak, let that be the message in what they do, what they say, in the totality of their life. So I found it a bit provocative to look into my own experience and to see, did I really feel like I was living the truth of my life, honoring the deepest truth within Reflecting on truthfulness can be very humbling. Now, just as I say it right now, I get the you know, snatches of my life of moments when I turned my back on truth, where I didn't have the courage to really honor truth. You know, whether it was because I was fearful, afraid, whether it was because I wanted to project myself in what I thought would be a better light, or simply the times when I was confused, not sure. So truthfulness, it has a potency to it. Our whole practice can be said to be a discovery of truth. And I know, you know, the word truth for me has always had a strong resonance in that really wanting to uncover in my own experience the deepest truth. You know, even from the times of being a teenager and hearing words that seem to point to truth and then beginning my own journey to discover truth. I think in our culture, truthfulness is, at least through lip service, honored. That it is seen to be a noble quality. You know, and there's the the phrase that often gets said, be true to yourself. I'd like to read um, something from Shakespeare, from the play Hamlet. This above all, to thine own self be true, 
and it follows then as night the day, thou canst not then be false to any man. In our search for happiness, in our search for truth, I think it's something that we all long for. And yet, through the circumstances of our lives, we've probably all discovered that it's not so easy. It's not so straightforward. As practitioners, we get very acquainted with this because we begin to see more clearly in the mind habits of delusion, habits of not seeing clearly. We might begin to see the habituated patterns of response that we have, that we have acquired through our lives. And some of these you know, habituated patterns may have come about into being through what seemed like really necessary means. You know, maybe us small children, when we were in difficult circumstances and we didn't know how to protect ourselves, we didn't know how to really find the truth in that moment, we found ways that we could make ourselves feel more secure. And they were necessary at that time. But later in our life, if we keep using these same protective mechanisms, they become prisons in which we're living that keep us from knowing the deepest truth. And so if we don't have the clarity of mind to recognize these patterns, to see these patterns, then in trying to stay true to ourselves, it can be that we're staying true to patterns of delusion. And so, you know, we can get a sense that it's not so easy to really know what truth is, what we mean by staying true to ourselves. In the investigation of being true to ourselves, we might also discover that it doesn't mean staying true to life being a pleasant experience. You know, in this, um, there's also a saying in our culture of following your heart. And, you know, I know in my younger years that was quite a meaningful phrase, to really follow my heart. But when I look back on what that led me into at times was really a following of what my whims and fancies were, what my idea of a noble life was, rather than looking deeper, looking below the surface, looking deeper than these um, concepts of happiness. Because what, what the following of my heart was, was really a pursuit of following the way that I wanted life to be. You know, and it was just a construct of mind and not really related to the truthfulness of the way things are. So when we look at truthfulness, 
it brings us into a place of scrutiny, a place of challenging ourselves, of looking deeper. Our practice being an inquiry into what is truth. We hear the Dhamma, you know, we do, there's the, the taking refuge in Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha. And when we hear it spoken about as taking refuge in the Dhamma, it's taking refuge in truthfulness. It's taking refuge in the way things are, the lawfulness of life. And so this is an expression of what truth is. And when we're practicing truthfulness, We're practicing living in alignment with the way things are. We're practicing non-deception. It seems like non-deception should be quite simple in some way. And yet, because of the veil of delusion, it's not so easy to see because we are so often confused by our experience. We often um, become deceived by our experience when we get entangled in the stories of our lives. You know, often these stories of our lives have a way of pacifying us. Or these stories of our lives have a way of delighting us. Sometimes these stories in our lives keep us very comfortable. You know, and even when it's the story of the suffering in our lives, we can find great comfort in that because it keeps us in the known. It keeps us in a safe way of relating to life. But the practice of truthfulness is uncovering the veil of this delusion and really being able to sit in life with naked awareness, being able to sit without this um, continual tendency that we have to try to construct a reality in which we feel safe but really to be able to sit at peace and ease in life with the way things actually are. In looking at truth, there's truth on the level of the relative, truth on the level of convention, the world of subject and object. The conventional level of truth, where I, in the ocean, am sitting here, and you are sitting where you are. The, the world of convention being that there are experiences, objects, in life. 
It's where a level in which um, the law of karma is operational. Where when we do wholesome actions, we will bear the fruits of those actions. When we act unskillfully, we will bear the fruits of that. There's also the level of the absolute truth, where there is no separation, where there is no separate I. And on the very deepest level, where there is the unborn, uncreated, undying. And so our investigation into truth happens on one level, on the relative, but it also takes us to the level of the absolute, the level of the essence of life. Needing to embrace both of these, needing not to let our investigation um, into truth rest only on one level. Because these are two sides of the same coin. They become expressions of each other. When we look at truthfulness of the paramis, you know, as a parami, it's the learning to live our whole life in alignment with truth, the deepest truth, because this is what benefits all beings. We work towards being a pillar of truth, where deception never taints, never colors. And there's a way in which this can, um, the inspiration for this, can come through a sense of responsibility. That to simply rest in delusion is to rest in untruthfulness, is to perpetuate suffering. And that only by the uncovering of the truth within ourselves, can we really ever hope to benefit other beings through this truthfulness? We find that this parami of truthfulness is very closely linked, as we've noticed many of the paramis being very closely linked. It's very closely linked with virtue because it is impossible to perfect sila without truthfulness. 
you know, you can never bring it to fulfillment because it's really based upon truthfulness. And the virtuous heart is when we have really lived well and in harmony with life. And when um, our lives become an expression of the essential goodness, where that light of truth shines forth, we find that truthfulness is very directly linked when uh, we spoke a little bit about right speech when we were speaking about virtue. Because right speech is about the articulation of truth. So tonight I'd like to take a look at some very practical ways that we can work with the perfection of this parami. When we work with truthfulness, it allows us to have an honesty within us that is conducive to peacefulness. It's an internal honesty that is not continually dodging the truth, which when we dodge the truth, it creates anxiety and fear. And we become fearful of facing the way things are. And the result being that we deceive ourselves. You know, last week I spoke about what a great relief it can be in moments in our lives when we just make that commitment to be honest with ourselves. And maybe we're looking at something that is difficult, you know, looking, looking at something that we perceive as a fault within us, but we just honestly look at what we're seeing. We be really true to ourselves in the seeing of it there comes this great relief. Yet often before we experience that relief, there can be fear of facing the truth. And, you know, it's kind of interesting to look at. Why do we fear facing the truth so much? What is it that's so fearful about it? And yet, As I said last week, when we do actually cut through, we do just have that willingness and courageousness of heart to stand true in a moment. And, you know, whether it's to just be true, to truthfully say that anger is present, that fear is present, that judgment is present, you know, to to name a momentary truth of our experience, there comes that moment of great relief. There comes a moment when times, if we keep doing this over and over again, we begin to see how empowering it is, how strengthening it is to do this, to be honest, because it is conducive to peacefulness. 
we find that when we live honestly, that others uh, begin to trust in us, that they begin to feel at ease in our presence. When people feel like they can't trust us, it puts them on guard. It helps create that barrier of separation where we stand apart. It can also cause others to be confused, to stop trusting in their own perceptions. And on the deepest level, we need to be honest to be able to see things just as they are not deceiving ourselves about the true nature of experience. We find that truth and wisdom are very closely connected. We can find that with truthfulness, we have the courage to see things as they are, and that wisdom is the result of seeing things as they are. So looking at some ways that we can practice truthfulness, I'd like to speak about right speech. Words having so much power in our lives words having the power to separate, the power to provoke wars, words having the power to heal, to unify, to bring about peace. There's immense amount of power in our words. And a lot can be made possible through the skillful use of words. And yet we find words come very fast, very fleeting, similar to how we experience thoughts. Words have great consequences, consequences we have to live with. And often in our lives, we find we have so little training in how to use words skillfully, how to communicate wisely. Actually, earlier this year, um, I decided that I had made a bad enough practice of speech communication in my life, really realized that I felt like quite a beginner in communicating wisely and had decided to do a communication course to see what was offered in the ways of um, being able to express oneself clearly and to be able to speak in a way that another could receive what was being said. And just doing the course was interesting to me to discover that I think probably everyone else in that class felt like as much of a beginner as me at wisely communicating. 
And you know, it's something so fundamental. In schools, we learn how to construct sentences. Um, at least some of us did. <laughs> I tend to be a bit haphazard in it, but anyhow. Um, you know, we're taught about kind of the mechanics of it. And yet we really get so little communicated to us about how we can do it in a way that is going to be, is going to help us to speak the truth, to honor the truth, to, is going to help to us to stay connected to the other person as we speak. It's almost like we've missed out on a very basic life skill. And because of this, there is you know, a perpetuation of delusion in the world. I'd like to uh, read a poem by William Stanford, Stafford. It's called A Ritual to Read to Each Other. If you don't know the kind of person I am, and I don't know the kind of person you are, a pattern that others made may prevail in the world, and following the wrong God home, we may miss our star. For there is many a small betrayal in the mind, a shrug that lets the fragile sequence break, sending with shouts the horrible errors of childhood, storming out to play through the broken dike. And as elephants parade, holding each other's ele- each elephant's tail, but if one wanders, the circus won't find the park. I call it cruel, and maybe the root of all cruelty, to know what occurs, but not recognize the fact. And so I appeal to a voice, to something shadowy, a remote, important region in all who talk. Though we should fool each other, we should consider, lest the parade of our mutual life get lost in the dark. For it is important that awake people be awake, or a breaking line may discourage them back to sleep. The signals we give, yes or no or maybe, should be clear. The darkness around us is deep. The darkness around us is deep. And in our lives we have a choice as to whether to stay in that darkness or to step into the light. And recognizing that we aren't alone, that we can actually use speech to point towards truth. In doing so, we need to look towards our motivation as we speak. What is prompting the use of words in this moment? Checking that our motivation is in alignment with truth and isn't being spoken simply as a self-serving speech. When we pay attention, our motivation can help us to bring uh, an impeccability to what we say, to really 
you know, if every time before you say something, you can take a moment to look to the motivation. And of course, it's not always clear. You know, we see that. There can be mixed motivations. But in seeing where it becomes self-serving, to see if we can let that go. To see if we can just see, is this true in this moment? Is it helpful? Is it useful? Will it help to bring unity? The Buddha actually said there were five marks when um, we speak wisely. Um, he said that there, it's speech that is timely, true, gentle, purposeful, and spoken with the mind of loving-kindness. This last aspect, spoken with the mind of loving-kindness, I think this can also really be a basis for speaking, that we look when we begin to speak to see if we are holding the other person in our hearts. Is what we're saying being spoken from a friendly place where we have care and concern for the other person? Are we speaking from a place of connection? Are we speaking in recognition that this is a fellow human being worthy of love, needing of love? When we can speak from this basis of loving-kindness and connection, it will help our words to naturally be gentle. Speaking gentle words is described as speaking words that are soothing to the ear, that are loving. Speaking words that go straight to the heart. Speaking words that are courteous, friendly, and agreeable. Taking a look as we speak, is there a gentleness to what we say? Or have we moved into a place of disconnection, a place of brutality, a place of wanting to cause harm from our words? I've also found it very helpful to reflect on Uh, speaking in a timely way. Know that speaking words that are both true, useful, and appropriate. So often, you know, I think it it is a piece of um, the culture we live in where, you know, it comes to speaking your truth becomes very important. But it isn't just about speaking that truth. 
but taking into account the whole situation to see is what we're going to say going to be able to be received by another. Sometimes they may be caught in an emotional turmoil and they can't receive. They can't hear what we're saying. Sometimes it may be that what we want to say is just inappropriate in that moment. Sometimes it can be that it's just not the right time. A number of years ago, a friend to me said that um, if it's true and cannot be heard, it's not truth. So it's really having to hold truth in a larger context than what we feel is our personal truth. To really be able to look at the totality to be receptive, to be able to listen to where the other person is at, to have a sense whether this is an appropriate moment. In saying this, it's not to say that somebody's always going to want to hear the words that we speak. No, it's not about speaking nicely, saying nice things to people. There is still a place for fierce compassion, where we speak words that are very strong, but have such a ring of truth, they break through the veils of delusion. And this will only happen when we have this basis of loving-kindness. That this place of loving-kindness and compassion is the place that we're speaking from. I'd like to speak about some of the uh, guidelines that the Buddha gave in speaking about right speech. He talked about abstaining from false speech or speech which is lies. Herein, someone avoids false speech and abstains from it. One speaks the truth, is devoted to the truth, reliable, worthy of confidence, not a deceiver of people, being at a meeting or amongst people or in the midst of one's relatives or in society, or in the king's court, and called upon and asked as witness to tell what they know, one answers, if one knows nothing, I know nothing. And if one knows, they answer, I know. If they have seen nothing, they answer, I have seen nothing. And if they have seen, they answer, I have seen. Thus one never knowingly speaks a lie, either for the sake of their own advantage or for the sake of another person's advantage or for the sake of any advantage whatsoever. It's actually said of the Buddha in, uh, you know, 
I may have mentioned this already, but I, I find it quite striking that in the course of his perfecting all of the paramis, of um, bringing to full perfection all of these different qualities of heart and mind, that he never once knowingly said something that was not true to harm another. So within this teaching we find that there's a very clear instruction to refrain from knowingly speak that which we know not to be true. And we simply abstain. What does it feel like right now to say to yourself, I will never knowingly speak an untrue word? The habits of lying can be very strong. You know, from just the little ways we have of exaggerating the truth to out-and-out falsehoods. And when we look at why we might lie in life, we find that, um, you know, the, the motivations for lying are really based upon greed, hatred, and delusion. When the motivation for speaking of falsehood is based upon greed, that's where we find that we're, spe- uh, we're speaking of falsehood in order to benefit ourselves or others. It can be for material benefit or for trying to make a good impression or to gain respect. We find that when the motivation is based upon hatred, then we might lie to cause harm to another, where we've lost the basis of loving-kindness and we've moved into cruelty. It's where we can cause immense harm. We can also find that um, it's based upon delusion. And this can be cases where we compulsively lie, where it seems like an interesting exaggeration, or we lie in the form of making a joke. But the effects of lying are quite harmful. You know, even in the smallest of our lies, that that too can just be um, planting the seed of not living in alignment with truth. It can also just be causing the air amongst ourselves and others to be cloudy, where people, you know, lose that sense of being able to trust us. It can happen that if we continually lie, we really start to lose perspective of what's truthful. I actually, at one point in my life, lived in a spiritual community, and It was a community where people came to it based upon really good intention. And yet, in trying to um, strengthen 
the, uh, the sense of community was often felt at odds with the outer world. And so there became little lies that were said, that were spoken, to make things look different to the outside world. And it happened that there was a pattern of lying that got set up. And I could see that out of this pattern of lying, such confusion came. Like a really deeply rooted confusion where people no longer felt they could trust in what was being said. You know, we can find that um, just looking at the news, that sometimes news is given not just to report factually the way things are, but news can be presented in a way of uh, wanting to foster fear. It can seem like to some people's advantage to keep others in the state of fear. It can be spoken in... um, for, for many different reasons, the news gets put out in ways that are not representative of truth. And we find massive delusion, massive confusion in the world. So it's interesting just to look in our own lives to see, do we stay steady with the truth when it feels like that's what's easy. We feel um, convenient. And when it becomes more challenging to stay committed to the truth, do we easily slip into telling lies? But as the Buddha, in the quote that I shared, spoke about, you know, abstaining from false speech, there was also that speaking that which is true and having to and staying in alignment with that which is truth. Really having a devotion to truth in the words that we speak. The second aspect that he spoke of in right speech is abstaining from slanderous speech. And slanderous speech is a form of speech that really creates enmity and division. In Burmese, they have a saying that speech that crushes the loving kindness between two people. Really looking to um, times when we might be using speech unskillfully and where it might be based upon aversion, wanting to Uh, really cut someone up, um, speaking from a place of hatred, um, speaking things that hurt another person. Sometimes we do that when uh, someone else is not present and we say slanderous things about a person. 
it's always helpful to, as we speak, to look and to see if what we're saying, if someone is not present, could we say it to their face? Could we uh, say that truthfully to that same person? And often we'll, you know, I've seen in myself the, the thought that, oh yes, I could say that to the person. I could say that directly to them. And yet, when I try to do it, it can be much more challenging, much more uh, difficult. So really to notice, if we're speaking about someone and they're not present, what's the motivation that's there? Why are we doing it? Is it to create disharmony? Is it to slander another? The third aspect of right speech that he spoke about is to abstain from harsh speech. And he said, one avoids harsh language and abstains from it. One speaks such words as are gentle, soothing to the ear, loving, such words that go to the heart, are courteous, friendly, and agreeable to many. That was what I spoke of when I spoke about the gentle speech. Noticing with harsh speech when we're speaking from a place of anger in the sense of scolding another person, where we're not speaking from that place of loving kindness. The Buddha also spoke about refraining from idle chatter. He said, one avoids idle chatter and abstains from it. One speaks at the right time in accordance with facts, speaks what is useful, speaks of the Dhamma and the discipline. Then speech is like a treasure uttered at the right moment, accompanied by reason, moderate and full of sense. Just looking in our own lives, how much of our speech is idle chatter, speaking to fill the silence, speaking chattering because we're uncomfortable to go deeper. And that's kind of the, the, the effect. If we just let ourselves stay on this level of idle, idle chatter, we stay on a superficial level. <clears throat> The Buddha gave some examples of things that are worthy of talking about. Fewness of wishes, contentment, solitude, seclusion, application of energy, virtue, concentration, wisdom, liberation, and the knowledge and vision of liberation. Looking to how much of our conversation Uh, might be outside of these topics. And the Buddha once said, better than if there were thousands of meaningless words is one meaningful word that on hearing brings peace. Better than if there were thousands of meaningless verses is one meaningful verse that on hearing brings peace. And better than chanting hundreds of meaningless verses is one Dhamma saying that on hearing brings peace.
So we can look to um, right speech as a means of calling forth truthfulness, as a very practical means of learning to live in alignment with truth. The other aspect of uh, calling forth truth is just having that honesty with ourselves. Really being able to be frank with ourselves. To let truth be an inquiry, an investigation. The Buddha talked about needing to discover the truth, awaken the truth, realize the truth. Until, and that's when it becomes unshakable. Truthfulness has the characteristic of non-deceptiveness. Its function is to verify in accordance with fact. To really verify through our own experience truth. It manifests as excellence. We find that when we're truthful in words, it brings about intimacy, connection. And honesty is said to be the proximate cause of truth. I'd like to share a poem from Sagyo. He was a 12th century Buddhist monk and poet. The mind for truth begins like a stream, shallow at first, but then adds more and more depth while gaining greater clarity. And this is why it's an investigation, an inquiry, an uncovering of truth. On the level of the absolute truth, we need to keep looking to what the underpinnings of attachment and identification that we have are that keep us from seeing things as they really are. So our investigation of truth needs to be supported by the effort to continue to look It needs to be supported by investigation. It needs to be supported by wise discernment, by looking to our motivations. It needs to be supported by mindfulness, the steadiness of mind that can simply see things as they are. And then our practice becomes a way of honoring truth. 
I'd like to close with a quote from a Thai forest monk, Ajahn Lee. When we practice virtue, concentration, and discernment, it's as if we were taking the jewels and robes of royalty and the noble ones to dress up our heart and make it beautiful. But if we aren't true in our practice, it's like taking robes and jewels and giving them to a monkey. The monkey is bound to get them dirty and tear them to shreds because it has no sense of beauty at all. Whoever sees this kind of thing happening is sure to see right through it that it is a monkey show. Even though the costumes are genuine, the monkey inside isn't genuine like the costumes. For instance, if you take a soldier's cap and uniform to dress it up as a soldier, it's a soldier only as far as the cap and the uniform. But the monkey inside is still a monkey and not a soldier at all. For this reason, the Buddha teaches us to be true in whatever we do, to be true in being generous, true in being virtuous, true in developing concentration and discernment. Don't play around at these things. If you're true, then these activities are sure to bear the fruits of your own truthfulness without a doubt. So not to play around with these things, our practice, but to really call forth that integrity that takes us to truthfulness. Let's sit for a moment. May all beings realize truth. of the sharing of blessings. Now let us chant the verses of sharing and aspiration. <coughs> Through the goodness that arises from my practice, may my